Hey, welcome back, everybody. Uh, it's been a little bit of a break here, but Mark and I are back. It's the Wit and Whiskey cast. Uh, I'm here, of course, with Mark, as I mentioned. Say hi, Mark. Can I just state for the record for all of our wonderful and most loyal listeners that, holy fuck, it's a lot easier to record a podcast in a pandemic. <laughs> like, when you're sitting around the house and not a lot else to do, you get shit done. <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, when reality occurs, fucking A. Yeah, and, you know, when there's a fucking holiday coming, Jesus. Well, I mean, there's a holiday coming. You know, I've got all kinds of biz going on. You are literally saving the world. <laughs> which, I mean, you can talk about that a little bit when we get into, into you know, what it is. But you're, you're doing the fucking superhero bit there. So, goddamn, I don't know how long it's actually been since our last episode. It feels like about a month. Uh, time has lost all meaning for me. Yeah. <laughs> But, ha- you know, hey. <laughs> I, I have been tracking it. It has, We did only have to delay one week. Well, good. It, it feels a lot longer than that on our end. Hopefully, it doesn't feel a lot longer than that for our listeners. Yes. But we're here with our last pre-Christmas, pre-holidays, pre-New Year's episode. Uh, the next episode, uh, if you hadn't guessed, I'm going to put Mark through uh, Christmas to Electric Boogaloo. Uh, so I'm, Although I'm, I can't complain because you <laughs> sent me, well, you sent me multiple Christmas presents, but I, I got the last one today as we record this, in fact, and it's one of the few things about Christmas that always puts a smile on my face. I won't give it away. I'm saving at least one of them for when we record. Mm, yes, uh, it, an enticement to go back and listen to last year's special where Mark reveals one of his favorite things about Christmas. You'll have yes. that to look forward to next week. Yes, do go back and listen to that episode as a precursor because I mean, that is one of our better episodes. It is, it is, it, it was fun. But uh, before we get into all the fun, um, what you been up to, buddy? It's been a couple of weeks. Well, I, I didn't actually go back and listen to our last episode like I normally do to make sure I don't repeat myself, but I believe where we were was I was in negotiations to purchase another uh, fun vehicle. Yes, those negotiations were successful. Uh, I am now the proud owner of a Cosworth Vega, which, not to get into the whole situation, but they only made 3,500 of them. I have one of them now. Kind of cool. Kind of fun. Uh, you know, maybe we could do a uh, we could do an episode later on failed car designs and whiskey, and I could just wax poetic about the Cosworth. <laughs> uh, and then, basically, the world ended. Yes. Uh, I had a bunch of shit at work. Uh, my grandmother passed away, which, you know, it is what it is. She was sick. It was not unexpected. Then while all that was going on, my other grandmother decided to throw a blood clot, and she had to go to the hospital, although she's okay. Uh, so it was a fun two weeks, uh, and while all that other family biz was going on, I was trying to get stuff sorted at the DMV with regards to the title and you know, transferring plates and getting insurance and whatnot because the car is just sitting in the garage and God forbid it burns down or whatever, I'm SOL. But things are starting to look up. Uh, Got the last of my Christmas shopping done, whether or not the shit gets here on time, I don't know. Don't think we're doing Christmas cards this year, but I don't really give a shit. Uh, But it is what it is. We're here. Uh, I appreciate DJ being flexible with the recording schedule as, you know, I just cost everybody within a five mile radius over everything and uh yeah eggnog and cookies that's what i'm looking forward to spiked eggnog and cookies yes i can't wait i'm gonna i'm gonna probably crack some tomorrow night of my my yearly batch 
what about you? Your world has been ending, but on a much grander <laughs> scale. I have the the micro apocalypse. You have the macro here. You know, it's it's not often that uh, something in my industry gets enough heat and publicity that the internet starts making memes about it. <laughs> uh, and that has happened. Uh, so I, as you're listening to this, uh, we are a week after the original announcement. Uh, so there was a industry wide zero day vulnerability with a, uh, one of the core logging components in the Java programming language uh, which most of the internet is built off of, uh, as is a, a number of other things like, you know, EKG machines and and other crazy things. So uh, the entire IT industry's ass has been on fire uh, since uh, last Friday, and uh, it, it's just been go, go, go. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm already past the 50-hour mark this week, and I may edge into 60 before... Uh, I, I get to, uh, pour myself a drink tomorrow night, but it's fine. Um, so yeah, I, I can't give too many details there because, you know, it's a vulnerability and, and everybody's still fighting it, but, um, it, it's been on the news. I, I feel like there's nothing crazy surprising to mention here. Um, I mean, there's literal, uh, there's entire pages on Giphy full of IT GIFs just purely about this topic right now. So. Uh, I, I feel like I can be uh, I, I can be a little bit transparent about the fact that holy crap it's crushing my industry, um, yeah just just a lot um, it man woof I like if this could have been dropped like four weeks ago we would have been fine but we're hitting up against the holiday coming next week. Well, you know, say what you want about hackers; they are generally smart. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you know. If you're going to hack something, one, hack the people that deserve it. Don't attack the innocents. And two, just wipe everything the fuck out. Put us all back to square one. Uh, if you've ever read Fight Club, not, I, I think in the group text I said about the movie, no, not so much the movie. Read the book. As usual, it's much better. And uh, they talk about going after financial uh, computers and things. Now, this was the late 90s. But going after financial computer systems and things, not for their own monetary gain, but just to wipe everything back to the Stone Age. Mm-hmm. Fuck it. Send us back. Let's go. I can't I can't say I'm in you know, I'm I'm a proponent of this, but uh, that's okay. We're not here to talk about politics today, so we're just gonna skip this topic. That's not politics, that's just my hope. Just send us back to the Stone Age. Um, I, I, I like modern conveniences and the indoors. So, um, no. (laughs) Tent, (laughs) tenting is indoors. But no, I, on the better side of things, it's the last week at work for the year for me. So I've got the next two weeks off. I've actually got cosplay plans in the next couple of weeks. I'm, I'm totally putting my, my work laptop away. an elf? No. Um, I'm, I, I was actually talking to our buddy Dave, uh, last night about it. I'm designing a costume for a character from the anime Bofuri. Um, and, uh, it's probably the most aggressive cocktail. Sorry. The most, most aggressive cosplay I've ever tried to put together. Uh, just because I like I have to design a long hooded coat and a shirt that's weirdly shaped and a weird midriff belt and boots and a floppy hat. There's just so much to this costume that I need to make. 
Well, I'm I'm a little jealous. I don't uh, have next week off, but I did uh, before the world ended. I was smart and purposely did not schedule any meetings or Zoom calls or anything next week, so I could pretty much show up in jeans and a t-shirt for four days and you know just get paperwork done, and then I'm done until New Year's. That's so awesome. I'll, I'll have like ten days off after that. Well, we'll have to hop on together and do some some classic gaming together. We'll have to. I plan to do a lot of drinking. I plan to do a lot of gaming. Uh, I actually have to record an episode of my other podcast because I'm so fucking far behind with that. But uh, the nice thing is my other co-host is a teacher, so he'll be off too. So <laughs> it works. Uh, I'm sorry, Mark. We can't talk about your other podcast here. I didn't name it. It's that which <laughs> shall not be named. I'm just, you know, I have another one. But send that one back to the Stone Age too. No, I'm beating a dead horse here. You are. Um, I'm going to get a soundboard. I've been looking at them on Amazon. I'm going to get a soundboard, and I'm just going to record, send this back to the Stone Age, and that's going to be a drop. Just press a button, and that's going to be a drop. Yeah, that's a choice. <laughs> Season five of the Witten Whiskey is going to have a soundboard. <laughs> Fuck y'all. <laughs> They're not that expensive. They aren't. All right. What the fuck are you drinking? Save us. This uh, is a whiskey podcast. It, it is a whiskey podcast, and I, I guess I'm drinking whiskey today. <laughs> um, now, okay, normally, see, I, I'm looking at the notes here. Normally, I would give you shit about this, but it's really fucking good, actually. <laughs> it is. So I am drinking. I, I I said last year I wanted to find more seasonal whiskeys to review, and they they just don't fucking exist, and I don't know why. Beers have them, and there seems to be like fun like Mardi Mardi Gras rums and shit like that. But uh, for whiskey, it's like you just. Look at the bottom shelf and go, well, what does Jack Daniels have for this season? So I grabbed a bottle of Winter Jack. Winter Jack is, uh, it's actually a blend of Jack Daniels apple cider liqueur and Jack Daniels number seven Tennessee whiskey. Uh, And because it is a mix of those two things, it is 30 proof. It is probably the lowest proof thing I have reviewed on this podcast. Uh, so it's very drinkable. Uh, and I can definitely see myself going through a couple of glasses and then getting kind of twirly. Um, but it's really tasty. Uh, it, it's the apple side of it has some like cinnamon and clove and orange and, and all sorts of really tasty things. Um, it, you know, it, it's an apple. It basically is like a mold apple cider mixed with whiskey. So I kind of feel like that should already be a cocktail. And I'm kind of surprised it's not like, I guess it's kind of like a hot toddy. If you swapped the, the tea out for apple cider. Yeah, pretty much. I feel like win- winter <laughs> Jack should just be a cocktail, but there are a lot of winter Jack cocktails you can make. Most of them are, uh, mull some some cider and then pour some some winter jack in. So I'll, I'll probably do something like that. Um, you know, once once we get into next week and I don't have to worry about working anymore. <laughs> now, how easy or not easy is it to acquire up in the Shire? And that rhymes. There was a few <laughs> rows of it uh, on on the shelf of Jack when I went in. So I I may depending on how things go, I may end up with a second bottle of it. Because here uh, in Pennsylvania, it is like trying to find a man with four thumbs. Really? And I can remember when the Plains Pub was still open, RIP, never forget, uh, Dom, who owned it, used to have a standing order every year with the local 
uh, state monopoly store to get a case of it the minute it came in. Mm. And it was usually like the week before Thanksgiving at that time is when it used to come in. And he would sell coffee mugs of it warm. And that was the balls. It was just the absolute balls. Yeah, I I can... Like, it's something that I was sitting there because I've had the bottle sitting on my counter for a couple of weeks and I had a little sip of it and I was like, wow, this is really good. And I was like, damn, I can't think of any cocktails to make with this because it's just its own thing. So, yeah, uh, I mean, get yourself a bottle of Winter Jack if you can. It's uh, It only comes out uh, this time of the year. Uh, it's It starts to be available close to the end of October, and it carries... Uh, I think Jack Daniels keeps putting it out through New Year's, and then it's gone. Um, yep, and then you got to wait a whole other year. Yeah, so grab yourself a bottle, uh, he- heat some up, and uh, have yourself a nice warm drink as it's getting colder out there. What about you, buddy? What are you drinking? Well, I actually had to check our notes because I thought you had reviewed this back in season one. You didn't. You reviewed the same distillery but a different product. Ooh, dupes. I am uh, going back to our friends in Michigan, the Few Distillery. Uh, But unlike you, you reviewed their single malt American, uh, which I've actually been on the hunt for and I can't seem to find it here in Pennsylvania. (laughs) But I was able to acquire a bottle of the Few Rye which is more my speed anyway. Uh, So that is what I have today. Uh, The particulars, it's 93 proof. It has a three-year age statement, which is a little weird. Usually you see four and above. But this is uh, three years. Uh, It's from Few Spirits in Michigan, uh, like I said. I paid about $42 for the bottle, give or take. It was slightly marked down in Pennsylvania, so it's probably like a $45, $46 bottle here which means it's probably about $30 in a free state. Uh, The mash bill, it's 70% rye, 20% corn, and a mere 10% malted barley. Whoa. Yeah. It has a nice caramel uh, coloring to it, and it's really kind of fun because it starts off really rye-y with sort of like that buttery, bready taste, you know, really grainy. And then you get just a wild, deep, complex bunch of flavors. There's some caramel. There's some vanilla. Uh, It's really citrusy. You get like a really fruity taste. Uh, And then at the end, you just get the wood and that good rye burn. That's amazing. Yeah, it's I think it's pretty well balanced. Uh, It starts off really smooth and it ends with a punch, but it's not overbearing. Uh, and I mean, I really, really like it. <laughs> I had, this is the first of anything I've ever had from few and I will definitely be buying another bottle on sale or not. So, uh, you know, few rye whiskey, if you see it, pick it up. It's got a blue label. I think the one you reviewed had like a reddish maroon label. This one has a blue label. I think that's how they differentiate aside from the fact that one says rye and one says single malt, etc. But if you're just like me and you're perusing quickly, look for the colors. Nice. It's really fucking good. I love that. Well, that just sounds awesome, Mark. Uh, moving right along, what, what do you got for whiskey news? Okay, this is kind of fun. Uh, the one neat thing about being a historian is I get to play with old paper all day just as much as I get to play with old artifacts all day. And I have come across in my travels the price list for whiskeys 
from the Washington State Liquor Control Board, which were going into effect October 1st, 1941. That's amazing. Okay, so to give you some uh, context here, some background, I pulled up the handy-dandy inflation calculator. And this is something you should always play with, you should always look at. Uh, There's a couple of them out there. The one from the Department of Labor and Industry is probably the best. Mm. It's just usinflationcalculator.com. And this will give you some context to the prices that are out there. And so in 1941, $1 was worth basically $19 today. $18.91. Wow. So all of these prices I'm about to read off, or actually I'll probably try to make you guess a few of them, but all of these prices multiply by 19 for yeah. today. All right, DJ. So what do you think a bottle... A fifth, more specifically, of old granddad was selling for in 1941. Uh, five dollars. Two dollars and sixteen cents. Damn. <laughs> and again, multiply that by 19, and then you get your your regular price. Uh, old Overholt uh, Rye, which is one of my favorites. I don't know if I reviewed that yet for the podcast, but I do like it. Uh, what do you think a quart of Old Overholt was in 1941? Five dollars. <laughs> And all right, everything comes in threes. We'll do one more. Let me find something here that you would recognize. Oh, dear. Okay, Windsor, Canadian. A quart of three-year-old Windsor Canadian. What do you think that was selling for? $2.19. Oh, you were so damn close. (laughs) 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 $2.09. That's ridiculous. So uh, I will probably throw that up on the Facebook page at some point this week now that things have settled down because it is just an awesome find. And, I mean, hell, a lot of those bottles I've never even heard of, they probably don't even exist anymore, the ones that are on the list. So I thought that was pretty fun uh, this week, a little bit of lighthearted whiskey news. So, yeah, nine, you know, 19 to 1 from 41 to now. World wars generally cause inflation to spike. Who'd have thunk it? Oh, my God, that's amazing. <laughs> All right, what about you? What's tools of the trade this week? Well, we did uh, we did a tiny herb garden last time, so I thought this time I'd talk about uh, vanilla. Fitting. It's in my rye today. Nice. Uh, I feel like vanilla is everywhere, and I feel like in the West, I actually read something the other day that, that said, uh, how privileged are we that vanilla is considered, like, basic or boring in the U.S.? Yeah, seriously. And so I, I thought we could kind of talk about it a little bit because uh, I've, I've learned a lot about vanilla through cooking, um, but you don't tend to see it a lot explicitly in cocktails until you start looking for it, and then it's fucking everywhere. And it's kind of crazy. Like, we've talked a lot about different cocktail ingredients. We've talked about herbs. We've talked about uh, various uh, citrus and fruits. We've, we've talked about... Um, syrups and things like that. And vanilla just kind of ends up featuring in a lot of these things without you knowing it. There'll be a lot of um, tasting notes in, in various aged uh, liquors that, that are touted as vanilla. Um, but you also start to see a lot of vanilla syrups. You start to see syrups that have vanilla in them. Uh, I've even seen cocktails that have vanilla as a core ingredient, which I thought was really interesting. So uh, for those of us playing the baking game, we all know that vanilla extract is in, like, everything, right? Cookies, cakes, all sorts of good stuff. 
And vanilla extract, the way that you traditionally make it, is with a high-proof liquor and vanilla beans. So it is, in and of itself, a liquor infusion. Uh, Generally, you'd use something like Everclear or a high-proof vodka, something clear and something that doesn't have a lot of flavor itself uh, and that can take on the flavor of what you put in it. So just like, you know, you would... You'd make a coffee liqueur by infusing it, you know, kind of just having it sit in a jug with some coffee grounds and some other stuff. Um, it's the same thing. You make vanilla extract. You take the vanilla bean, you slice it in half, you scrape down the vanilla pods with um, with the the flat part of your knife and, and get out the, the tiny itty-bitty little seeds. You throw the seeds and the pods in the bottle. You pour some Everclear over it. You shake it up. You leave it there for a while shake it up like every couple of days and after a while it turns into a deep brown and you've got vanilla extract and that's really interesting because you can uh when you have vanilla extract like if you get like a homemade one that has the vanilla bean in it you can just keep topping it off with a vodka or an everclear for quite a while before it it'll stop leaching flavor out of the vanilla i just did that with my own vanilla extract downstairs so that's why i was thinking it uh, if you want to fucking overachiever, well, I mean, somebody gave it to me and I literally pour some vodka in it like once a month. Like it's sure overachieving. Um, but you can take that one step further if you want to use it as, as a cocktail ingredient. If you take that bottle of Everclear and, uh, you know, the, the suspended vanilla bean and you fine strain the liquid out, all you have to do then is add, uh, add it to, uh, you can you can either add a little bit of simple syrup and you've got a liqueur. You can use some of the vanilla extract, the, the liquid that you just brought out, and put it into a simple syrup and make a vanilla simple syrup. There's a lot of really great ways to use it. And uh, a lot of really wonderful cocktails can be amped up by vanilla. Um, orange and vanilla go very well together, which means you can amp up your... Uh, you're old fashioned with some vanilla syrup. Swap out just a normal, you know, splash of water and, and sugar cube with some vanilla simple simple syrup. Gives it a, a nice backbone. You can kind of edge the glass a little bit with some some brown sugar and some cinnamon. Kind of amp that up a little bit. Uh, I've seen uh, some cocktails where they actually take uh, like an inch of the vanilla bean, split it and throw it into muddle it with some orange zest and, and then kind of throw in some bourbon. And, and, and that's another way of doing that kind of cocktail. Uh, again, a one-to-one simple syrup, uh, you can make like a, a half cup of it with a teaspoon of vanilla extract and you've got a vanilla syrup that'll go really well in a lot of different cocktails. Uh, and then there's a lot of other things out there, right? There's vanilla flavored rums. There's vanilla infused this and vanilla that. And uh, I mean, hell, it's part of it's probably part of the birthday cake rum if you go look for it. Um, so there's a lot of other things. There's even like vanilla flavored co- um, vanilla flavored Bailey's. I think you can get like there's a variant of Bailey's that has vanilla in it. So vanilla is just kind of everywhere you can make a really simple cocktail uh you can do like a one-to-one of some vodka and some vanilla liqueur uh and then do a splash of lime juice that makes a pretty great cocktail you can kind of turn it into a martini and uh when you do something like that you can actually garnish it with a piece of vanilla pod which is you know kind of cool and neat so i figured that would be like a cool way for people to start amping up cocktails over the holidays 
because vanilla kind of goes with everything that we're talking about, right? It it goes really well with fruit. It goes really well with with warm things. Um, and if you ever want to make, I think um, earlier, either this season or last season, we talked about using tea uh, in your cocktails. Uh, vanilla goes really well with your tea. Um, my favorite latte doesn't sound cocktail related, but my favorite latte is called the, the London fog and it's an Earl gray lavender, uh, latte that has some vanilla syrup in it. And you can just amp that up and turn it into a hot toddy pretty quickly. So something for you guys to think about while you're, you're making some Christmas cocktails. Uh, we will definitely be talking Christmas cocktails next week. Don't you worry. And of course, TJ is referring to natural vanilla extract, not the synthetic stuff, which we all know comes from a beaver's anus. Gross. Uh, and just make make your own. Were you guys. not aware of that? No, I didn't know that. We didn't have to talk about it on our whiskey cock- cocktail segment. <laughs> I'm just saying, in case people are confused, don't go squeezing beaver anal glands. No, please um, just you know, use it's like vanilla the pods. At the end of runs uh, out about the coffee. Yeah, um, but well, that yeah. was vanilla. It has nothing to do with beavers. <laughs> take us to uh, take us to our topic this week. Well, today we are actually revisiting an old topic. Um, way back, I think it was. Season two, we did uh, an episode titled Character Creation in Whiskey. And we're actually coming back for round two on character creation. We just enjoy, it. you know, Mark and I are huge nerds. We love D&D. We love Pathfinder. We love all of these tabletop RPGs. Mark and I have been playing in a, a weekly game together for years at this point. Yeah. And after all of these years playing together and all the different characters we've uh, created, we figured we'd come back and get a little bit more specific about character creation and talk a little bit about uh, our favorite 5th uh, edition races and our favorite 5th edition classes. We're specifically going to be talking about uh, D&D 5th edition today, but most of these things are going to exist in all of the popular fantasy RPGs. Yeah, uh, I mean, some of these are pretty much ripped line for line from Pathfinder. Yeah, exactly. For one example. So I, Mark, I figured we could start with races. Do you want to, do you want to pitch one of yours? All right. Well, you know, being that I am the, uh, angry old man of the group, uh, I'm going to go full basic white bitch, lace up my Uggs and, uh, humans. (laughs) I like playing as humans. And there's a, a few reasons for this. Number one, uh, it's kind of fun in that in most, and this isn't just a tabletop thing, this is a video game thing too. In most settings where there are multiple races, humans are sort of the jack of all trades. They're mm-hmm. not really good at anything, but they're not really bad at anything either. So you could pretty much play a human almost any way you want to. Because the stats will pretty much allow you to, and they don't really have necessarily any weaknesses uh also in almost all settings humans i mean much like we are in real life and throughout history we love to expand so humans have had contact with pretty much every race there is in any fantasy setting for good or for bad 
So you can have a lot of fun uh, background and lore uh, settings with that too. Probably one of the more interesting things about humans, and I guess you could say it was a disadvantage, although it doesn't. it's mostly a storyline thing. It doesn't really come into play in actual gameplay. Humans have incredibly short lifespans by comparison. So it's kind of fun playing like a 68-year-old human and they're all like, oh, I've seen the world. I know everything. And then there's like a 200-year-old elf that's like, bitch, please, you're a teenager. Shut the fuck up. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? So that that's kind of fun, um, but don't fret on humans. I mean, I know it's you know it's pretty boring. Like when you could be anything, why do you choose to be yourself? But you could do so much with them. You can mold them in so many different ways. They're good. That's my first race. What about you? Uh, my first race. Uh, so I didn't choose any humans. I have never played a human because I figure if I'm going to play in a fantasy world, I might as well not play something that I am. Uh, so my first race is gnome, uh, which is going to make Mark laugh because, uh, I am chuckling. <laughs> yeah. My, my, my main gnome character is fairly infamous at this point in our friend group. Um, but, uh, I really like gnomes. I tend to really enjoy playing smaller races or really young characters, uh, because I, I've had the chance to play grizzled, you know, bitter adventures and I don't, I don't find it fun. I like... I like characters that are, are small and, and generally pretty positive and upbeat and and just want to be friends with everybody and then end up having something tragic happen to them during the game. Um, so, yeah, I like gnomes. They, uh, it's kind of like playing a human because they do mature at the same rate, but gnomes tend to be longer lived than humans, so they'll be around for a while. Um, and they're, they're generally small. They're smart. Uh, I've played a few different kinds of gnomes. I've, I've played kind of your 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 indoor underground tinker gnome, uh, which is, you know, they're generally pretty good with invention and artifice. Uh, I've also played kind of wild, chaotic forest gnomes. Uh, you know, I had a sorcerer who, who was slowly going insane at one point, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, I, I love gnomes. I generally play gnomes over halflings because halflings are a little bit more like... I, I feel like they're a little bit more roguish and I, I don't, I don't usually tend to play rogues. So I, d- I tend to kind of take the, the plus in intelligence that you get with a gnome instead. What's your second one? Well, my second one uh, for races is actually one that I think is relatively new to actual 5e canon. It was homebrew and play testing for a while and other systems for a while. And that's the yawn tea which for those of you playing the home game are snake people. And they can be either, uh, you know, basically humanoids with slightly yellowy skin or all the way to they can have scales and the forked tongue and, you know, the lizard eyes and the whole nine yards. I thought it was a lot of fun. I mean, again, from a role play thing, you can (laughs) your S's, which is something (laughs) I tried to do for about two sessions. And then it got really fucking old and I gave up on it. And then I gave him his 1920s voice. Nah, we're not going to hiss anymore. Uh, they're generally supposed to be either neutral or lawful evil. But, I mean, if you have a DM that's actually cool and alignments don't matter as much, depending on how you play them, you can have a lot of fun with them. They get bonuses to magic, uh, both in things they can actually do and 
uh, in their proficiencies. I mean, they have like an arcana bonus on their rolls. Uh, they have different uh, forms of uh, arcane recovery and different studies. They automatically get dark vision. They're immune to being charmed. Uh, they have poison spray uh, as a natural ability. So if you want to play a caster of any type, they are kind of a lot of fun for a base. They're squishy as shit. Uh, and depending on how you play, you might want the charisma bonus because they are, you know, they're deceptive. They're the sly snake. So depending on your build, if you need a charisma build, a Yonti Bard probably would be a lot of fun. <laughs> that but would yeah. be fun. But look into the Yontis uh, if you want to go quote-unquote darker, although, again, there's no, you know, set types anymore. They changed that in some of the rewrites. But if you want to go quote-unquote a little darker, a Yonti could be a lot of fun. That's fantastic. Uh, All right, my, what's your second? My second one um, is one that I played fairly recently, and uh, it's one it, it's ostensibly one of the half races, uh, but it doesn't have half in its name, and it's the Shifter. Okay. Uh, and Shifters um, are basically like halfway between a human and a lycanthrope or... Uh, you know, a human in a, uh, some sort of wear, right? Um, uh, and they're really interesting in that they, they're actually much less lived than humans. Like, humans can get up to 100 years old, uh, and shifters tend to, to burn out around 70. But uh, the cool thing about shifters is there's this aspect of, like, having the beast within. So you, you get a, uh, an ability called shifting, where for a minute you get to kind of take on more of a bestial appearance. And there's a few different sub races um, that allow you to kind of pick, you know, are you, are you more of a, you know, I, there's like beast hide, which is more defensive. Uh, there's long tooth, uh, which, which is like biting and piercing. There's swift stride, which is speed. And there, there's wild hunt, which is uh, all about tracking. Um, and you can kind of, it, I, I feel like Shifter lends itself really well to role-playing, which is my favorite thing about it, because you kind of get to decide, like, where you came from and is the world that you're in kind to your to people like you. Um, and so I, I played a Shifter Warlock in one of our last campaigns, and, and she was a lot of fun to play. Yeah, we never knew what the fuck she was going to do at any given moment, but she was a lot of fun to play. Mm. <laughs> she was. All right, last one. My last one, uh, again, because I love to hit things and hit things very hard. Full on orcs. Really? Yes, that was the one thing I liked about Brittany. She was an orc. Um, of course, you know, they get a big bonus to strength, they get plus two to strength, they get plus one to charisma. They hit things really hard, and they can also take a really hard hit. They're big. I mean, you know, they're much bigger than humans, both height-wise and uh, weight-wise. The problem is they're a lot shorter-lived. I mean, if you reach 50-55 as an orc, holy shit, you had a good fucking run. Mm -hmm. uh, they get dark vision. They get some uh, primal bonuses. This was another race that used to be always evil, but of course they've retconned that now. You could play it pretty much any way you want, although most DMs were doing that anyway. Likewise, they they generally have minuses to intelligence. 
But this could be, one, change. I mean, you could build them any way you want. Or two, you can use it to role play. I mean, you could do the cliche, you know, Hulk smash, dumb, yada, 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 which can be fun depending on how you play it. Or you can play an orc, like, that knows it's dumb but is trying to understand the greater, you know, Mongo Pond in Game of Life, that kind of thing, and trying to <laughs> yeah. reach another higher plane here. Uh, and that could be a lot of fun. I generally play melee. I generally want to get up in people's grills and punch them in the teeth. And orcs are pretty fucking good for doing that. <laughs> so, like, oh, my God, the one good thing Brittany Basham gave us was that she was an orc. <laughs> and possibly that voice. It, it does make me laugh at how much you actually didn't enjoy playing her, but you did while you were playing her. No, like, I liked her as a character. I just didn't like her class. We'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> of course, I don't know if I can play her anymore because Brittany's been freed, which, thank God. It's so. true. You know, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but all right, what's your first fucking class? No, 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 I got my last race. Don't, don't take Oh, your... I'm sorry, I'm one ahead of you. What's your last race? Yeah, my favorite race. Uh, so uh, as Mark, <laughs> Mark can fucking attest here, I tend to play races and classes that D&D then goes to publish six <laughs> months later officially. Yes, basically, if you ever see something on, oh, I... Call it the beta test. What's the official name for it? I never... Remember. Unearthed Arcana. Yes. If you ever see something on Unearthed Arcana and you go, oh, that's really cool. Wait six months because DJ will fuck it up and they'll change it. It's true. As soon as I touch a, a, a third, like a, a beta class or a beta race or fuck a beta spell or fucking yep. like UA patron... Uh, Every you know, goddamn time. Yeah, they, they change it. Under, and this actually got me into trouble. I'll talk about that when we get to classes, though. Um, so my, my favorite class right now uh, is what ostensibly in UA was referred to as uh, Rabbit Folk, uh, but ultimately got released in the new one of the newer uh, rule supplements called the Wild Beyond the Witchlight. And they, they renamed the class the Heron Gone. And they're literally bipedal bunnies. Uh, they can be medium or small creatures, uh, so you can bet on the small one. Um, and they're, it, it's kind of interesting because they, and while Beyond the Witchlight, they released two new races. One was the Herringon, and the other was Fairy. And Fairy kind of makes sense, right? Like, it's all about, you know, the Fey Wild and things like that. And then they're like, oh, we need another race. How about bunnies? And I was, you know, I'm not going to argue with them because it's amazing. Um, but the cool thing about rabbit folk is uh, that they gain an ability called rabbit hop. And uh, depending on uh, some of your stats, you know, depending on your proficiency bonus, uh, you can make a running start and then just hop. Uh, and you, you don't have to... Uh, like roll for it anymore. You used to have to roll for it. You don't anymore. Um, and in the campaign we're currently playing, where I am playing a Heron Gone, uh, we're all playing fairly high level characters. So I can just in the middle of battle jump twenty five feet out of danger. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. He jumped over myself and our cleric in the middle of combat. Mm -hmm. And when I say jumped over, I mean, I believe my fighter in that campaign is 6'2", six, 6'3", six, and he cleared us by, like, a ton. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was 
Uh, it's definitely cheat hacks, but it's fine. Um, so yeah, talk about small classes, right? Like I, Herengon and, and Gnome are two of my favorite classes of all times. I should say races, but yeah, you get where I'm going. Race, class, tomato, tomato. We're moving on to classes now. Yeah, what's your, what's your first class? Well, again, I'm basic, so we're going to go with fighter. Of course you are. Well, here's the thing. Everybody always says fighters only do one thing. They only hit shit. And that is entirely correct. <laughs> but, no, no, but. And, and this but is they're gonna be really good at it. Well, no, no, no. This is going to be a hot take. I'm going to throw down a, a spicy take here, but I want you to, to ponder this before you react. I would argue that no class is as versatile in doing what they do as a fighter. Hmm. Because no matter how, what way you want to hit shit, you can. Mm -hmm. Do you want to use short-bladed weapons? You can. Do you want to use long-bladed weapons? You can. Do you want to use, like, spears and thrown weapons? You can. Bows, crossbows, yep. Guns, which we'll get into a little bit later. You can. Pikes, jousting weapons, the whole nine yards. Yes. You have proficiency in every single type of armor from the get-go. Do you want to wear light armor and run around like an idiot and be, you know, pastel checks? Cool. You can. Do you just want to be a fucking human tank that shrugs off artillery blasts? Yeah, you could do that too. Do you want to dual wield? You can do that. Would you rather carry a shield? You could do that. Would you rather carry a two-handed weapon? You could do that too. And that's just the basic level one fighter. Once you evolve and you could pick a subclass, then it gets really fun. And I just have three of the subclasses here, uh, which, one, I have experience with, but two are actually a lot of fun. And the first one is Battlemaster. <laughs> and Battlemaster is neat because you, you originally get three feats, then I think it goes to five, then I think it goes to seven. I believe it's odd numbers. And what these feats are are basically spells or abilities for a fighter. And some of them are actions, some of them are bonus actions, but it literally lets you be a tactician. It lets you be a general. Like, you have rally where you can heal one of your allies. You have goading strike where you can taunt one of your opponents and basically aggro them. So, no, don't go attack DJ. Attack me instead. I have all the hit points. You have maneuvering strike, which lets you forego your turn but reposition one of your allies without them in, uh, getting an attack of opportunity. So, oh, wait, you're hurt? You're going to get killed next turn? No, you just retreated. Have fun. So you get to basically sit there and play chess while you're playing D&D. It's a lot of fun. Second one is Cavalier. And Cavalier is if you ever wanted to be a cavalryman, if you ever wanted to ride a horse or a mount or anything else and charge into battle, they also have stupid amounts of defensive abilities. Hit points, uh, hold the line, which gives you attacks of opportunities both ways, incoming and outcoming, different aggro abilities. Uh, but now basically you get to have a horse and there's separate rules for mounted combat and for unmounted combat. And then the last one is one that they ripped right from Pathfinder, pretty much word for word. Uh, it's relatively new to D&D in general, and that was the Gunslinger. You ever want to play Old West? You want to wear a trench coat and carry a revolver? Here you go. 
you use your grip points. You could do different trick shots. You could shoot weapons out of people's hands. You could use dead eye and target different parts of their body. Anything you want to do, you could do. And at the end of the day, you're still hitting shit. <laughs> so fighter, everybody laughs at fighter. Oh, it's so basic. I mean, oh, that's, that's everybody's first character is a fighter or a barbarian. Yeah, but if you get down to it, especially when you get at upper levels, when you get around 8, 9, 10, from then on, shit really takes off. Mm-hmm. You can have so much fun building a fighter if you sit down and go, I want to do X. Because 95% of the time, if not more, you can do X, whatever X is. 100%. All right, what's your first class? Uh, my first class is the first class I ever played, and this might actually be <laughs> this might actually be a hot take. This is a hot take, but it's one I agree with, but go ahead. Yeah, uh, so Mark and I's hot take. Ranger is amazing. Rangers are broken, but in a good way. Yeah, they are horribly broken. Uh, I, don't, I don't understand the hate. There, there is a large part of the tabletop RPG community that refuses to touch Rangers and think they're the weakest things ever. I don't get it. The Ranger I used to play just fucking one-shotted people left and right. Um, and I, I'm looking at the archetypes here, man. There's like, there's like eight archetypes for Ranger and they're all amazing. So like, I, I don't really get the hate for Rangers. I think they're awesome. Uh, Rangers are half casters. Uh, so when you, when you tend to pick a class, you know that there's going to be combat in TTRPGs. Um, so there's generally like your melee classes, there's your half casters, there's your casters, um, and, and there's, you know, other ways of classifying classes, right? Like everybody knows the tank, the DPS and the healer. Um, but when you, when you're picking a class, you kind of want to pick wh- wh- how complex do I want to get? And, and Mark and I will definitely be talking about the difference between playing like a melee class and a caster ranger rogue. They're, they're both kind of uh, good halfway in betweens. Um, that there's a couple of other half casters too. I'll, I'll talk about another one a little bit later. Um, but with Ranger, it, you basically pick, uh, are you going to fight melee or ranged? And most people play ranged, um, you know, bow and arrow crossbows, that kind of stuff. They're really great. And then they have, you know, you might have a connection to nature. You might have a beast companion. You might have, uh, a bond with a dragon. You might be able to just fucking teleport in the middle of battle. And all the spells are weirdly broken. Yeah. And they all have like insane multipliers. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. If you min max a ranger they're they're putting out fucking damage. And I mean, there's a, an NPC ranger that tends to travel with us. And I swear to God, AJ keeps him back from combat sometimes just so that he doesn't roll the fights. Yeah, no, literally the final boss fight for our one prior campaign, he made my character, who the story was about, 1v1 the boss, but then the horde around the boss, he actually had this ranger get teleported to another dimension for like five rounds because he would have just won the fight himself. Yeah, at a certain point earlier in that same campaign... AJ had him just drop his bow and start throwing people out a window to try and make it a little bit more fair for us. And I think he did better. That was the set. His grapple rolls were disgusting. Yeah. So if you're ever designing a character, like don't, don't pass on Ranger. It's a really great intro class to play. If you're not, 
if you think you might not want to play a melee class right off, but you want to kind of experiment with some different things. And it's also a really great intro into casting because you don't have a lot of spell slots. There aren't a lot of choices, but you it gives you some of that dynamic choice. All right, what's your second one? Indeed. Rangers are great. Uh, my second one is uh, Fighter Light, Unarmed Fighter, the Monk. And the Monk is kind of fun because, again, you know, oh, you just run up and you hit shit. Well, this is how you make an unarmed character. And everybody always says, because it's in the name, just Monk. Oh, you know, it's the stereotypical Kung Fu, David Carradine, you know, Pai Mei sitting up on a hill, gonna, you know, judo chop somebody 15 times. No. You can make pugilists, you can make prize fighters, you can make boxers. Uh, my monk, oh, the Topaz Slab, don't you know? <laughs> he was a professional wrestler. He liked to get into squared circle there. And the fun, th- there's a few fun things about monks. Number one, you can't wear armor. Your AC goes down if you wear armor. Because you are the wind, no one will hit you. And likewise, you have key points. And key points let you do a lot of really, really, really fun things. Most of them are bonus attacks. Uh, depending on your specialty, you could pop Flurry of Blows, which just lets you just keep punching a person over and over and over again. You can get uh, Patient Defense, which gives you a free dodge action. Step of the Wind, which basically gives you like an extra dash. All this fun shit. Uh, standard, you could slow your fall. Just, oh, somebody threw you off a building? Yeah, you'll slow your fall. You're going to reduce your damage by a shit ton. It's like 25 or 50 or something fucking stupid, right from the get-go. Uh, you could deflect missiles. Some bow and arrow you know, guy shooting at you, an archer shooting at you. You could knock the missile away. If you roll high enough, you could catch the fucking thing. This is my arrow now. Yeah. So it's another class that on the surface really looks weird unless you want to play like you know a kung fu guy but then when you get into it and you start looking at the techniques like you know do you want to be the way of the palm and the stunning strike do you want to be the drunken master technique do you want to be i think tavern brawler is another one uh it's another one that there's a lot of layers that are deep and depending on how you have your backstory crafted you can have a lot of fun building the character around that amazing and you get to hit shit. Hitting shit's always fun. Mm-hmm. I, I ran a campaign full of monks just for like a one shot of a martial arts tournament, and they they all had a lot of fun. It, it was it was really cool to see. Our friend Iggy loves the monk class, and when I was building Topaz, he was sort of watching me play like a proud papa, like, "Oh, you are learning the way of the monk. It's awesome, isn't it?" <laughs> I love it. All right, what's your second one? All right, so uh, I actually combined two in this slot just because they're so similar. Um, But I did want to explain, because I feel like this is the biggest question that people who are curious about playing casters have, and that is, what the hell is the difference between a wizard and a sorcerer? Okay. Uh, I have played both, and they are very different for very different reasons. Um, So when you tend to think of magic, you tend to kind of rely on some some fantasy tropes, right? And a, a a fantasy trope like, say, Harry Potter, where the characters are studying and they get better through study and practice 
and they learn new things through like book learning and classroom setting. That's that's a wizard. It's very much a wizard. Um, and and in this case, wizard is not gendered. Uh, you can ha- you can play a male or a female wizard. Um, the 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 witch class in D and D is ostensibly warlock, but we'll talk about that later. Um, sorcerers are like more innate instinctual magic things like Harry Dresden from the Dresden files where, you know, he, he studied and he had to practice to hone his already innate magic, but it was much more of a, you are born with magic and it, it comes from a bloodline or an infusion from another plane of existence or from darkness or storm or wild things. So, um, when you play a wizard, you get to pick like which school that you align yourself with, or you get you. There's also newer ones, which I didn't realize, Mark. But there's uh, there there's one called Blade Singing, which is basically a battle mage. Um, there's uh, Time and Gravity Magic now, uh, and then yeah, there's kind of fun. Yeah, there's some cool shit with wizard. Uh, but there's also the standard eight schools of magic: abjuration, conjuration, divination, enchantment. Evocation, illusion, necromancy, and transmutation. Uh, I'm not going to repeat that. <laughs> um, but <laughs> uh, if you want to hear it again, just click that 15 second back button. Uh, and the whole idea with the wizard is you have a, a book that you record all your spells in. You have to study every morning to, to prepare your spells. Um, but you you're you have a much larger pool of spells you can pull from. And you can actually learn spells over time by writing them into your your spell book. Uh, whereas the sorcerers, they have a, a more limited spell pool, but they they tend to be able to do some really crazy shit with that spell pool, like meta magic, uh, where you can infuse sorcery points into like twinning a spell or making the spell cast faster or. Uh, you can stealth cast things, you know, things like that. So wizard is more like, I want magic and all the magic and magic's magic. And sorcerers are like, I want some of the magic, but I want to be able to do cooler shit on top of the magic. So that kind of gives you an idea. Um, I, if anybody in your campaign, uh, if you're new to the campaign and anybody right off the beat chooses wild magic, you're in for a fun ride. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Dave didn't kill us. No, yeah, I was going to make a joke there, but he actually didn't kill us. He only blew up part of the ship. Yeah, but he also didn't play that that, that wild magic sorcerer for very long. No, he didn't. I, I've seen uh, characters who played wild magic and actually ended up like a foot taller in one session, and that was just permanent, and you can never, that never happens again. Like, you can't, you can't, Shrink, you were just a foot taller. So it was like there was like a five foot gnome running around for some reason. I was actually uh, a while back. I was trying to smash together two of my great tabletop loves, both D and D and Blood Bowl. And so I was trying to make a uh, warlock. It was actually going to be a wild magic warlock whose patron was Nuffle. <laughs> who, if you uh, have never played Blood Bowl, Nuffle is the god of dice and random chance. It's a mispronunciation of the letters NFL, since Blood Bowl is a football game. And I was putting the chart together, and he was going to be a changeling, too, just to make it completely fucking crazy. 
and I was putting the chart together and I was doing all the paperwork and everything. And I'm like, I, this isn't even fun. Like just putting this character together isn't even fun. I can't even imagine what it's going to be like to play him. <laughs> I just scrapped the whole fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> And I think that was when I showed up with Callaway and AJ's like, I thought you were playing a changeling. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> Yon T, here he is. Have fun. Yeah, changelings are, are, are fun. I, I just helped uh, a friend of mine design a changeling character. So what's your last class? Well, uh, well, I'll let you guess. My last class is actually the first class I ever played in my high school session that went for years and years and years that we actually hit level 20 on. Paladin? Nope. Barbarian? Yep. Nice. Technically, he multiclassed. He was a fighter barbarian, so he could <laughs> hit you twice as hard. <laughs> Damn, son. <laughs> yes. Uh, but no, barbarian. You know, Keeping with the theme of melee and getting in people's faces... The Barbarian is like a fighter, only he's not quite as versatile. Uh, generally, but not always, fighters uh, prefer two-handed weapons, larger weapons, your hammers, your battle axes, your giant swords, although you could build around this. But if you're looking for an archetype, that's basically where to start. Uh, but their main gimmick is rage, mm -hmm. uh, which is a lot of fun. Basically, when you pop with rage, you you basically just get all the, the actions if you're not wearing heavy armor, which you shouldn't be wearing armor at all because the barbarians are another class that get a massive boost to their AC if you're not wearing armor. But if you pop rage, you get advantage on strength checks, on strength saving throws. You can make a melee weapon attack using strength and gain the bonus to your damage roll. You get resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage. Uh, can't cast spells, but why the fuck are you casting spells anyway if you're a barbarian? <laughs> I did see someone do a multi-class barbarian and source uh, barbarian and wild magic sorcerer, and it was Buck Wild. I'm not gonna lie; that actually sounds really fun. <laughs> uh, as you go up, your rage improves. You get frenzy. You get mindless rage. Uh, you get brutal critical, which gives you extra damage dice when you roll criticals. Things like that. Um, the fun thing, and I neglected to mention this, barbarians get it, but so do uh, monks and fighters as well. As you level up, you get multiple attacks. Oh, yeah. So by the time, you know, uh, my cavalier fighter is level 14, I think we are, DJ, 14 or 15, whatever the fuck we are. Uh, he gets three attacks around. Mm -hmm. So if you declare your action as attack, you get to go three times. It's not just like when you start and go, oh, yeah, I attack, I didn't hit anything. Okay, see you guys yeah. in an hour. And that doesn't count action surge either. No, no, and that doesn't count action surge, uh, you know, or uh, any of the fun things later on, depending on what primal path you pick. Wizards have schools. Uh, fighters have subclasses, concentrations, barbarians get primal paths. Yeah. And some of them are fun. You can talk to your ancestors. You could channel your rage a little better. Different things depending on what you get. So if you want to play melee, if you want to get up and hit somebody, you can in a lot of different ways in 5th edition. It's so true. All right, what about you? All right, so this is my favorite class in that I've ever played. I keep going back to it because it's just so much fun. Um, and it's actually, I think I am looking through the game rules here. I think it is the newest pure class. I believe it is. Yeah. I mean, every class has gotten new subclasses, which is why like, you know, wizard has like 13 of them and ranger has 10. 
but this is a, a pretty brand new class. It came out with the uh, expansion, uh, the Eberron expansion to 5th edition. And it is Artificer! Um, when AJ uh, offered to, to have me kind of join uh, the rest of the boys in and, and start playing D&D with them, you know, we had all been gaming buddies for years at this point. And I was like, oh, it would be really cool to play, like, a magical engineer, right? Because, like, and again, this is the start of DJ plays classes or races that do not yet exist and then get drastically changed later. Yeah, that became actually a minor plot point in our campaign. It did. (laughs) So, like, this was, I was playing a gnome artificer named Rabbit before there was a rabbit folk race. And Artificer was still in Unearthed Arcana, so it was still very, very, very beta. So some of the rules didn't work right in D&D Beyond, and there was some shit I had to keep track of. But Artificers are literally magical engineers or magical inventors. And they're really interesting, uh, and they differ from the other classes by they have to cast everything with artifice with a tool with something called an infusion uh they they don't they don't just get to waggle their fingers in a spell casts they have to like you have to inventively create a way of casting a spell as an artificer which is it lends itself to role playing and some sometimes the battle is going fast enough that you don't have time to go ah i really cleverly invent a tiny machine that casts fireball um but it lends itself to a lot of really fun things. And there's some things that artificers get right off the bat that's kind of a little bonkers. Um, for instance, most of the subclasses in Artificer start off with a proficiency in firearms, which I'm pretty sure other than um, other than the gunslinger in Fighter, it's the only class that gets that. Because firearms... I think so. Firearms are kind of like a big no-no, right? In fantasy worlds, like that the idea of using a gun <laughs> when everyone else is fighting with swords and magic uh, is a little bonkers. Um, and, and it's literally one of these uh, these things. Like, there's a huge note in the class features for uh, for artificer because they come from Eberron, where there are guns and guns are decently prevalent. There's a huge note that says, "Hey." Talk to your DM, but if your DM allows it, you get firearm proficiency. Uh, and with Artificer, the, the subclasses, I think, are some of the best subclasses in the game. You, there's Alchemist if you want to make potions and, and uh, you know, y- you can eventually get to a point where you can, you can craft, uh, like, Alchemist's fire and things like that. There's some really cool things. You get elixirs that you can just hand around the party. Uh, there's armor, which I think is a, a fairly new one where you can create your own armor or infuse other people's armor. Uh, there's artillerist, which is literally a, it's Torbjorn from Overwatch. Like you just get a turret that can follow you around and, uh, explode and do some cool things. And just every fire spell, just all of the fire spells, just every fire spell when you maybe don't want the fire spells, but it's fine. And then <laughs> Battlesmith... That sounds very specific. Are you speaking from experience? Uh, I am indeed, yeah. I am. <laughs> uh, and then uh, Battlesmith, which is basically the Beastmaster 
uh, side of things. You, you get something called the Steel Defender, and it, it follows you around. You, you create it. It's like a, a little construct you infuse, and it gets more powerful over time. So there's some really cool shit in, in Artificer. Um, I really like it because it's extremely versatile. There's a lot that you can do, and every subclass feels like playing a completely different class. Um, so there's some really cool stuff in there. Uh, so I highly recommend checking out Artificer. If you do, uh, check out some of the race synergies you can get with going Gnome or... Um, uh, what's the other one that we didn't talk about? Warforged. Oh, Warforged are actually fun. Yeah. I, I didn't include it in my list, but I have played a Warforged, and Mr. Book is hilarious. Poor Mr. Book. Poor Mr. Book. He's still around somewhere. We may someday go back to that campaign. Yeah. I don't know if he'll ever be the same. But, yeah, I mean, those are just some of our favorites, so please go check out all that 5th Edition has to offer. Yeah, no, we're just merely scratching the surface of the classes and the subclasses, um, you know, and you already know a lot just by what we're already telling you, so don't just go by us, you know. Fit your play style. Right. Um, And fit the way you want to role play, because, I mean, I think... That's the problem, quote unquote, I have with casters is, I mean, obviously any tabletop game is going to have combat. It would be pretty fucking boring otherwise if it didn't. But I am like a role play first, second and third guy yeah. w- with combat pretty low on the chart. So I build characters for how I want to do it as basically performance art for a lot. You know, if we're going to be stuffy here, you know, my art form, how I'm going to carry out the the uh, character here. So combat really takes a back seat. And I noticed that a lot when I built my wizard, Callaway. And out of all the spellcasting classes, probably wizard and sorcerer, sorceress are probably the ones that I like the best because it's like, it's magic, but it's, you know, it's basically a straight trade. Like you're squishy, but you can fucking bend the realms to your will. Mm Mm-hmm. But with Callaway, he was supposed to be a magician. So, like, I picked all spells that a magician would have. <laughs> so it's like, oh, we're in combat. Well, I can turn invisible and run away. <laughs> or I can make a rainbow in the sky and distract them because it's like pyrotechnics. <laughs> so I guess you need to find your balance when it comes to role play and to combat and to, you know, build around that. We, we were joking about Brittany Basham before. I think that was her name, Brittany Basham. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked the character. I liked some of the... She was a warlock. I liked some of the things AJ was doing with her patron, but I didn't like being pigeonholed into a combat style that it was like either I can cast my bonus action and grow poison nails and scratch you like a cat fight, or you have to make this DC saving throw that is ridiculously low and, oh, wait, I just burned my action and now I can't do anything. Uh, it was a fun gimmick. We tried to do, uh, you know, uh, one shot that we were all warlocks. It was fun to try, but I don't think I'll ever play warlock again. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I've played so many casters at this point, and I think warlock is my least favorite casting class. Yeah, I mean, it's like literally any one of the casting classes could do everything better. Yeah. I mean, if you want to do melee, you go cleric or paladin or uh, ranger. 
if you want to go just straight magic, wizard, or fucking sorcerer. Like, there's no reason to play a warlock. Yeah, I feel like warlock, if we had gotten really high level, there could have been some really interesting things. And I think warlock is interesting as a pure DPS in a, a balanced party. My problem was that we, like, the class itself absolutely refuses ca- collaboration. Yes. Like, there is no support magic as a warlock. You are doing damage, and you are ignoring everyone else on your side of the battlefield. And it's, like, we tend to play in a game with a lot of role play, and without a lot of collaboration with the magic, there wasn't a lot of reason for our characters to collaborate either. No. And uh, I think that is why I generally tend towards melee is, again, you get the versatility, but you get the balance. Like, you could do, at the end of the day, you're just going to hit people, but it's like, okay, well, if we have a caster in the party, he's going to set up an AoE spell here, so I need to push this guy over to here. Or, you know, okay, we have a cleric, and he's just going to stand back and heal us, so I just need to be a wall and not let him get through so that the cleric can heal all of us. Like, there's different... To me, I think you could play different ways better with, a, at least I can, with a melee character, depending on the group dynamics. Whereas a caster, it's basically like, I'm so fucking squishy, I'm so fucking squishy. Run away, run away, run away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of why I really enjoy playing half casters, because it gives you some, some other utility you can do. When I tend to play casters, and I don't do this in video games at all, but I try to play a lot of utility... So, like, that's why I like Wizard and I like Artificer is that they're both really supportive of a a larger party. And you can do a lot of, like, as an Artificer, I can infuse, you know, Mark's character's armor and make it better. Or I can, you know, throw a potion to somebody else. Or I can, you know, I can click on my flying boots and, and, you know, try to, like, rain fire down from above. So there's some cool shit that you can do as a half caster. But I just, I feel like we just got the, just the pure shit end of the stick playing all warlocks. Yeah. Pretty much. It, it was fun as an experiment. I, I agree with Mark. I don't think I'll ever build a warlock again. Friday was fun, but if I ever play Friday again, she's not going to be a warlock. Yeah, I mean... I'm never going to say never. I mean, if we have guarantees that there is a really well-balanced party going forward, yeah, okay, maybe one other time we'll try it. But as an experiment, I think that one is more or less wrapped up. Yeah, I, I definitely felt pigeonholed into a class that just didn't feel quite right but it's fine there is some fun fun things you can do with a warlock because i have played i played abby in another campaign and she was a fun warlock but again you need like another party around you to make that work yeah pretty much i mean you you have to you have to build around that well mark take us out Well, this has been Character Creation 2 Electric Boogaloo. Uh, You know, just when you think we can't talk anymore about building tabletop characters, you're wrong! We haven't even got into magic items yet or, you know, your feats or anything like that. 
so that that is both a threat, a warning, and a future preview of an episode. But uh, we do thank you for listening. We do thank you for being patient with us as we've had the world crash down around us these past few weeks. Uh, so you know, keep on listening. Keep on saving us in your favorite podcast apps. Uh, give us a five star rating. Uh, leave a comment on your platform of your choice if they allow that. We're on like thirty freaking platforms. You know, all the biggies: Spotify, Apple, Podbean, Listen Notes, Google Podcasts, Amazon, yada yada yada. A million of them. Uh, we want a big shout out to Nuno Henry Silva for our intro and outro music. Uh, we're going to send you to a SoundCloud. He's got a new book out. We'll give you the link to his Amazon page. He has two books out now, uh, so check him out. He's, he's basically the third chair here on the W&W. We are the Wit & Whiskey cast on all your social medias, as well as Gmail. There's no H in Wit. There is an E in Whiskey. Nicely so I took done. A week off. I, yeah, I took a week off. I got it right. <laughs> uh, so email us with whiskey suggestions, episode suggestions, uh, episode comments, your favorite classes, your favorite races, et cetera, et cetera. Anything you want us to try, shoot us an email, shoot us a comment on Facebook, on Instagram. Let us know what you're thinking. Uh, next week, you already know, we don't have to do our usual mumbling around for our topic. It's true. It's it's unfortunately going to be the Yuletide caroling again. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I may actually, I, I, I'm going to have the one Christmas present you sent me. Uh, as part of it, but I may actually do the other Christmas present. I may use it for my drink next week. I haven't Ooh, decided. That would be exciting. I, I hope. I hope it goes off well. So, uh, if I could find something that is doable, I might do it. I love that. So, so yeah. Next week, DJ's going to be unbearably happy, and I'm probably going to be a miserable prick. So, y'all have that to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And on that bombshell, salute. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>